Hello everyone, welcome to the International Business Podcast. If you work across time zones, borders and cultures, this is the show for you. I'm Leonardo, founder and host of the show, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. I'm based in Shanghai and I'm accompanied by two co-hosts, Stefano, based in Paris, and Audrey from San Francisco. Coming up on today's episode. An approach that saw humans as having limitless potential and set out to educate them in ways that help them achieve that potential really appealing. There's, there's a lack of trust in themselves and they feel in an environment where there's a high pressure, like for example, board meetings or we're talking with a boss or to, with clients, they just haven't got what it takes. Andrew is passionate about empowering English language learners, not just through speaking English in ways so they won't feel held back in their lives and careers, but also to see themselves as powerful learners, confident and able to see challenges as opportunities to grow themselves. You can find more details in the show notes. Now let's get into it. Hi, Andrew. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hi, Leo. Great to be here. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to the session and having a chance to talk, have a chat with you and see where it all goes. So let's start this chat by asking you this. What makes you an international professional? Well, it goes back basically to my roots because um, I, th I think it's had a big impact on my life. In fact, even though I've lived most of my life in Australia, I was in fact born in Hungary. On top of that, both my parents were survivors of the Holocaust. So I was raised in an environment that mainly saw anybody who wasn't Jewish as a threat. And so when we came to Australia, I was taught at a very old, very young age not to trust the locals. And so I sort of was a bit of an outsider in many ways for many years. And so I never really felt home till well into my 30s, in fact, uh, despite the fact that I was living in a sort of a, an Anglo-Saxon environment. The kids came along. Uh, so that helped a bit, of course. Um, then I got involved in uh, teaching English as a second language. And so most of my life I've been surrounded by migrants one, one way or the other. And so that, in, in fact, helped my situation in terms, of, in terms of being able to see myself as, as more than who I was and see that the, the migrant experience was common to everybody and that everybody, in fact, had trouble, in a sense, assimilating. So even though I came here on as five, it, it's taken me a long time to get there. But like I said, by the time I was in my 30s, with the kids there and living my life as I did, I felt more and more like a, a true blue Aussie. And now I really see Australia as my home. I've also found, I've traveled a lot, in fact, over the years and found that I could see myself at home in virtually all the countries we travel to. So in, in, for that whole experience, I sort of see myself more as a, a person of the planet Earth rather than as somebody who lives in Australia as an Australian, even though that's, of course, who I am at the moment. But so I feel like, you know, that's my life, living as, as, as an international person, even though my feet at the moment are planted firmly in Australia. So English is recognized as the most internationally popular language, which makes it the most dominant language in the business world. Why, Andrew? Well, it is certainly the most dominant. Um, I think the Chinese, in fact, in terms of numbers, is way up there as well. But in turn, if you look across all the planets, oh, sorry, planets, that'd be nice. If you look across all the, the countries, English is dominant across so many countries. And um, how this dominance came to be probably is not straightforward. I believe it's a combination of factors, of course, not hindered by the, the, the major fact that the country that became the most dominant one um, economically, 
technologically, politically, militarily, and arguably even culturally, if you consider movies and pop music as culture, which clearly they are, um, basically they speak English in, in the States, right? And so as a result, that kind of, um, that English has traveled all over the world uh, because of that because of that, that very strong influence. So in most large companies, in aid organizations, in the UN, et cetera, English is the, clearly the dominant language. Teaching, you mentioned uh, teaching as a profession. So a lot of people ending up teaching as a job. But what made you specifically, Andrew, so passionate about your work with learners of English? Well, it's interesting because I started off uh, teaching English with no qualifications at all in terms of teaching English. Uh, in fact, I gave up English as a subject in my year 12. However, in, the, in those times, to get started in teaching English, all you had to have was a degree, which I did, which was actually economics. And I spoke another language, which is the second criteria. So that's how I got in. It was actually quite amazing. I was fortunate, in fact, to start my career in English teaching when there was a real burst of creativity in the field. There used to be one prevailing method for a very, very long time, centered around the grammar study, structured practice in the forms of exercise and memorization. And there was a lot of dissatisfaction with that, with the people working right through the system. Um, it was a lockstep kind of system that basically in Australia, in the organization I worked for, which was Adult Migrant Education Services, which was the, the main uh, provider of English language services to migrants in Australia at the time, on any particular day, right across the country, uh, you would know which chapter, which page students were working on at any particular level. So it was a, bit a remarkable scenario. So that's what I walked in on. However, virtually at the, right, at the same time, there was this burst of creativity. And so we had all of a sudden approaches appear on the scene. For example, with names like Silent Way, Suggestopedia, Community Language Learning, Total Physical Response. And that's just a few. I fell in love very early on with the approach called the Silent Way, an approach that held that only awareness is educable. So that was a stance so different to what we had before that fundamentally held that memory was the main tool for learning. Well, we had to understand grammar, of course, but it was memory that was used to glue it to us. That's the, that's the approach that was fundamentally used prior to this, the, all these new approaches. So the silent one, on the other hand, presented a coherent approach to learning a language based on the understanding that humans have amazing powers as learners, evidenced by the fact that we all learn to speak, for example, our first language before going to school, not to mention learning virtually every other skill that we have. Contrast that to, for example, animals that virtually walk out of their mother's womb. We, we take years to get to that spot and, and more. We, we spend most of our life learning things, basically. So with me, this was like, um, like a duck to water or just it's like, it's like mana from heaven. Uh, as I was really interested in personal development at the time, and still am, in fact, an approach that saw humans as having limitless potential and set out to educate them in ways that helped them achieve that potential was really appealing. So over the years, I found uh, this endlessly rewarding in many, many ways, this approach. And I, find, I found that I had to draw on my own powers to learn this approach myself because we had to all construct it ourselves. It wasn't all laid out on a, and given to us on a platter. So I had to learn to put it all together. It was a very, very creative process. And it's kept me engaged to the present day. Um, and that's what basically being so engaged and so um, committed to seeing an environment be built for students where they can actually thrive means that for every student, for every class, for every situation, I have to be 
on my balls of my of my feet or have it all completely um, present. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. And that kind of um, engagement as a teacher for me is something that um, is really it's like water. It just feeds me all the time. So whenever I go into a situation when I work with learners or singularly or or in a collective. I find that I come alive because I have to be so present to be able to to actually meet them where they're at. So let's link the, let's say, business English language to a career, to how to succeed or how to further your own career. So some people become quite good speakers, but then they get stuck at levels where they feel they are still held back in their careers. Why is that, Andrew? What is the issue? There are probably three main, main reasons why people get stuck. Um, the first one, at, at an advanced level, at these levels we're talking about, is they just don't get the importance of use and just keep thinking of improving their language in some way that they're used to in the past. Now, if you consider, for example, um, learning, for example, to play basketball, another skill. So all skills rest on the same principles, exactly the same principles, right? So if you I'll put it in this sort of way, so if you're playing basketball and you want to get your skills better, you go and play in a basketball team. But if that basketball team plays the same team every week or every day and they play no other team, right, your basketball skills are going to get stuck. It's really important to put yourself to play against different teams. And, and everybody understands that with basketball, right? With speaking, it's exactly the same. If you rely, rely upon you're improving your English by just using it in a business environment, for example, at work or wherever you're using it, you're basically playing one team and you keep going playing that one team. And as a result, your language will get stuck. It just, it just It's inevitable. It's just like the law of, of skills, put it this way. You have to have diverse range of situations where you use English. And And that's something that all the people I work with, it's a fundamental reason why they got stuck. And for most of them, not all of them, because other factors as well, which I'll come to in a minute. But that's a critical thing. So people have got to get, get that they have to broaden their use. And once you do that, your tra trajectory can change because all of a sudden you're exposing yourself to different language, different emotional inputs, different intellectual inputs, different linguistic challenges, et cetera, et cetera, and then your language will deepen and widen. The second reason um, is that people have got to the level they're at using particular methods and particular ways of learning, and they just don't get that the higher you go in any, in any skill, and we're talking about uh, English, for example, you, the, the, the ways you learn change, in fact, and that if you, don't, if you keep lying on the methods you've got you use to get to the point you're at now, it's not going to get you to the point where you want to go because those methods were great in getting to where you are now, but they're not great clearly because you're stuck in helping you move further. The third one is to do with the fact that as a, as a seasoned speaker of a language, let's say um, English again, inevitably you're going to get stuck with certain ways of speaking And, and so you've got certain habits of how you say sounds and certain habits of your structures you're using, and these actually get embedded. And the longer you use, keep using these sort of ways of speaking or how you're ex expressing yourself, you basically goes to an unconscious level. So you're not even aware that you're, for example, missing out articles or you, you, the sounds are off. So you've got to, to get out of that rut and to stop yourself using these sort of um, 
ways of speaking that don't really work ideally to get you to the to higher levels, you've got to basically become aware there's a problem. Back to awareness, right? This episode is sponsored by International Expansion Explained. Are you looking to expand internationally, but you're not sure where to start? Or you export already, but would like to venture further overseas? Reach out to arrange an international clarity session and learn more about growth plans at katherinereed.com. That is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-R-E-A-D.com. So I've been learning Chinese, okay, for a few years now. And I got a bit stuck because I've been, let's say, using Chinese in the same context over and over and over. So basically at work, most of the time using simple sentences. But in the past maybe six, eight months, I've been using Chinese way more in, let's say, outside the workplace. So, you know, I go to the supermarket alone. I can go to the police station alone. I choose to go to the police station. They'll bring me there and whatever other places. And actually, yeah, trying to just talk in different environments using different topics, my Chinese just got better. But you mentioned Chinese. We're talking about business English. Question here, Andrew. Do you, do you think in the next 10, 20 years, will English remain the main business language or is it going to change? So, so English has got so embedded in in various event, you know um fora and um companies and music and movies and etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just it, i can't see changing in the next 10 to 15 years wherever i mean politically things can always change and i'm not going to go and talk about politics but i mean if there's a huge change as far as politics is concerned globally um you know it may be there may be a shift but it's hard to imagine losing english losing its ascendancy I, it's hard to imagine English losing its ascendancy really at the moment. It's not something, I mean, it's, you know, who knows, but I, my own views, I can't see it happening. It's, I think it's here to say, I mean, so many people who come to Australia and, and, um, and people I've talked to overseas, so English, English is seen as the, as the way to improve your career, no matter where you live, basically. If you, and I've, I've worked with people internationally and they tell me I'm learning English because I know I can get a, a, an advancement in my job if I learn English. And, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's just so embedded. Can't imagine a, a shifting, uh, Leo. Let's make this practical, Andrew. So let's take as an example, a mid or senior level manager, a non-native speaker, non-native English speaker. What would be the key advice that you'd give this person to improve uh, their business English? And I'm saying not a young person just starting his or her career, but specifically a mid or even senior, let's say a senior manager. The, the people I work with, one of the, the consistent uh, problems that people have in relation to what you're talking about is that they just don't feel a confidence in what they say. They just feel there's something wrong with their English. There's just, they, they're just not settled into it. So even though the English may actually be quite good, um, there's, there's a lack of trust in themselves and they feel in an environment where there's a high pressure, like, for example, board meetings or work, talking with their boss or to, with clients, they just haven't got what it takes. The biggest um, fact, and of all the people I've talked to, and I've, I, part of my working with people, I actually ask these very personal questions about what do you do at home, who's in your family and blah, blah, blah. The, the common thing is they don't speak English um, yeah, with their family. 
Now, in a foreign English language environment, for example, learning English in China or in Japan or some other countries, it's a much more difficult um, scenario because, uh, you know, it's hard to get people in your family to be speaking English. Whereas in Australia, which you think people be speaking English, interesting enough, most migrants who come here don't speak English at home. That's been my experience, at least the ones that I talk to. Um, so even in this environment, I have to give a long, you know, talk to them about well, how fundamentally it's important because not until you can relax into English and be able to express yourself and argue with your spouse or your kids or have discussions about things that, you know, in a work situation, you would never do that. But once you can actually, you know, negotiate and argue and, you know, do what the things you do in a family environment, then you, you, you start to own English. And it's the, it's the sense of owning it, which is so important, and that owning it is a critical path to feeling comfortable in the work environment. Because once you feel you own it and you can do all these things, then when you go to work environment, you'll be more relaxed because you know you've, you've dealt with high-pressure high situations at home. At home can be like that. Um, and so that's the, and the, the people who've done this, they come back and tell me the same thing, that once they start speaking at home, the things start changing and it's difficult because they're not used to it and the, the kids and there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. Now, so that's in an environment, for example, where English is the first language, like in Australia, that's more manageable. But going back to the situation where English is learned in other countries, I'll come back to this thing that um, I mentioned before, that the most important thing I can say is you learn not to speak in other, just other different environments, but actually make friends with somebody who becomes a really good friend of yours and who can speak English. And now again, not so straightforward and difficult to make friends at the best of times, but it's something I can't emphasize enough as being important because it's with a close friend, you can actually start to relax and talk about all these things you wouldn't talk about with other people. And you have to get to that point in the skill. And again, back to this, this whole thing I've been saying, speaking is a skill, where you can do all these things with it. And with a friend, you can. Uh, you can talk about all your family, the problems with your wife or your husband or your kids and the problems at work. And, and you know, you can start complaining and whinging about it and, you know, giving, getting ideas from him, how I can solve it. And that's where you're going to start feeling, again, like English is, you know, I own this because I can talk about all these things and you understand, we understand each other and it just flows, conversation flows. In a business environment, hard to get conversation to fly with a high-pressure situation. I've got one final question I ask everyone who comes on the show, Andrew. Please share with us one memorable moment from your international career, and that could be a successful, a catastrophic, or a funny episode. Your pick. There have been a few. Um, I guess the one that's the most, in, and it's not instructive, but it's the, I guess it's the, it's instructive in some way. Um, many, many years ago, um, in Australia, the government decided to get into uh, teaching English as a specific purpose. This is right back in, this is the early 80s, right? So, so but now it's, you know, everybody does it. It's sort of part of the course. In those days, in Australia at least, we had nothing like that. So what they did is that they brought in a, a cohort of medical doctors, and these doctors were from all over the, the world. So there was one renowned um uh, professor of medicine there who actually his textbooks were used in Australia in the medical schools down to new doctors down to pediatricians all kinds of and there were, it's like 30 of them and they got four of us uh, to work with this pilot program 
first of its kind overseen by the government. So it was a big deal program, right? And the, the four of us, we considered ourselves to be pretty good at what we did. And obviously somebody else did because they, they hired us, right? So we got in there and started working with, with these people. And so over the time we worked and worked and obviously there were great advances. There was one student, however, a doctor who from Vietnam. Now I should say that in my belief, the Vietnamese people have got one of the, the biggest challenges in coming to English because in their language, they don't have final consonants at all. That doesn't exist. Uh, whereas in English, <laughs> most of our words have got final consonants. Um, and also it's a tonal language, in, in, a bit like other languages, but put those two things together, a tonal language together with no final consonants, it was like a mess for a lot of Vietnamese. Some master really well. This particular doctor had real troubles and, and all of us individually and collectively worked with him on his pronunciation and we didn't seem to make a dent on it. It was just so frustrating. So the end of the six months came and um, had this big party the minister was there and I don't know who else was there. And we have this having alcohol laid on, food and this and that. Anyway, this guy, this doctor, ended up getting a bit, a bit tipsy, a bit drunk. And all of a sudden, his pronunciation was fantastic. <laughs> it was just remarkable. He was just, all of a sudden, his final constants were there. His, 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 his tonal sort of fluctuations just disappear. It was just like a miracle. And so we all looked at each other and said, what happened there? Now, I don't recommend that people go and get drunk to improve their English, but what it came home to us is that how important it is for people to relax. It's the relaxation, it's the, it's the becoming comfortable in yourself and not trying so hard to get it right. And that's where, that's where the, the alcohol kicked in, in that he actually ended up really relaxing and having a good time everything came in it was just such a funny time at the time it was like we couldn't believe it sort of our mouth was like you know this wide open <laughs> after listening to this episode who should connect with you and tell us a little bit more about your current role i um exclusively work actually now with people whose whose english is at a really good level like upper levels right and basically i i work with them individually and sometimes in a, in, a, in a bunch as well but basically that's how i work um, and so these people who come to me are typically people who are already employed or wishing to gain a really good position or wishing to gain a promotion or sometimes just feel that they're not functioning as well as they need to in their office or work environment. And so these are the people who, who I work with, the, the ones who basically feel that they need to improve their speaking. And and, and just talking again on speaking, because that's the the problem that most people struggle with more than any other area. So these are the people that basically would, would benefit from making contact with me. The other uh, cohort would be, for example, if a person in a company who's responsible for people who you believe could perform better with enhanced speaking skills, then they should also consider making contact with me uh, because that they, uh, I'd be able to certainly give them some advice about what people would need to do in the, in the first instance. Andrew, I want to thank you for your insights. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. Fantastic. Thanks a lot for having me, Leo. It's been a pleasure having a chat with you. You can find the podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe. Do not miss the weekly episodes. And are you an international professional? Connect with us on LinkedIn to come on the show. For now, cheers.